Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And we are covering Mistborn. The Final Empire, chapter 12 and 13. Last time we left Vin, she had just discovered that Cayman's lair had been discovered and that Cayman and everyone had been compromised. But before we get into what's happening in these two chapters, just a couple of quick announcements. The first being that we put out part two of the coverage of I'm Sorry, Here's a Plasma Rifle by Aaron and Hall. And after this episode, the following week will be part three, which is the end of his collection of short stories and poems. So if you're interested in checking those out, definitely go and support him. You can get a copy of that book on his website. All of it is linked in the show notes. We've been having a really good time reading that. So if sci-fi or short stories are something you're interested in, I highly recommend giving that a listen. Yes, it's been such a thrilling ride and a very introspective tour with these short stories. Some other announcements, we have made some updates to our website, so please, in your free time, give us a visit at fantasticbookspod.com. And don't forget to, if you listen to us on iTunes or Spotify, rate, review, and subscribe, because that really helps the podcast grow and helps other book podcast fans find us as well. So it just really helps build the whole, the whole podcast, and it really helps us out as well. But I think that's it for announcements. I'm ready to jump right in because we had a bit of a shorter episode last time because we really wanted to focus on what happened in especially this chapter, chapter 12. Yeah, I'm so excited to have Vin experience her first nobleman's ball. Chapter 12. Vin's freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. A little bit. Maybe. Definitely later. Yes. Right now she's wearing her ball gown. It's definitely something she is not used to. She really keeps comparing it to how much more comfortable she feels in a mist cloak or street clothes. But she also doesn't hate the dress. They're starting to grow on her a little bit. And this is the first time we see Vin reconciling who she is. She she says, you know, I'm not Vin the street person. I'm not 100% Vin the mistborn. Sort of like being Lady Villette. Who am I? She finally gets a chance to start developing her personality and her interests and her 
all her character traits, really. Yeah, the exploration and self-discovery is great because people are complex. There's many facets to them, and I'm enjoying that Vin is realizing there's more to her than even she realizes. One thing that's surprising her, too, is that she hasn't just taken money from this crew and run. Something that she definitely would have done in the past. She's thinking about all this like training that she's gotten from Reen and what she's experienced here with the crew and reflecting on her role now as Lady Villette just before she's about to make her first appearance. She's really staying because this is the first time she's experienced trust with a group and friendship. Yeah, she's definitely starting to be in this for keeps and have a sense of more than just camaraderie, but loyalty to Kelsier and friends, as I like to call it. <laughs> Kelsier and friends. But I'm really in a part of the book right now that I'm enjoying because we have this shift finally. It was Vin the street urchin to Vin the Mistborn. And now we're getting another addition to the repertoire of identities, Lady Valette Renew. And Lady Valette Renew is about to make her appearance. After this whole opening of the chapter where she's thinking about all these thoughts that we just discussed, she gets in the carriage with Sazed. And as soon as she gets into it, Kelsier pops into, like comes out of the mists and hops inside the carriage. I love that he like, lands on the roof of the carriage as it's going. He's like, what's going on, guys? <laughs> it's me, Kelsier, and my friends. <laughs> yes, it's just very on brand for Kelsier. There's always this lighthearted air to him and... There's always like the spontaneous fun that he brings with the writing a majority of the time. Mm -hmm. Even in this moment, he says, I've always been very confident in my immaturity. He just knows how to ham it up a little bit. He knows how to keep things light, especially in this moment when Vin is very nervous. But he's coming to give her a little bit of advice and a little bit of reinsurance. Yeah, because Vin is definitely hesitant. She does not believe that there's any way she'll be able to ingratiate herself into the nobility, that she'll be able to spy and gather information. Kelsey and Sazed keep her at ease a bit, saying, like, this is night one. We're here to show you to the court. Mm -hmm. You make an appearance. Keep to yourself. Part of the cover is that this is your first ball in disguise, but also in reality. So play the part of just being in awe of, like, your surroundings. So... Enjoy yeah, it's, yourself. It's definitely like a crutch she can lean on for a while. She's got like the I'm training badge on. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Because she does use it as an excuse later on at the ball not to talk to certain people or not to dance with certain people because she's just, you know, the simple country girl taking it all in. So Kelsey really helps her. And he says, even if you don't know exactly what kind of information you're looking for, just by talking to people, you can report your conversations back. It will help us. In the long run, like we, we will get eventually what, what we're looking for. But he also says that at some point, he'll probably have to face Lord Ruler and having a Ska Mistborn hiding among the nobility will be a very powerful advantage, which does make Vin a little bit nervous. She thinks that the Lord Ruler might be at one of the parties, but that's a bit beneath him. Right. So for now, they're going for the long con. Mm hmm. Kelsier says that he'll be hiding outside the keep, keeping an eye on everything, just to make sure that all goes well for Vin. It does get a little frustrating for her in the long run, because Kelsier ends up getting more information from the balls than she does sometimes, because <laughs> he's eavesdropping and listening in on people and 
keeping his eyes peeled, but for now he's just very helpful to ease Vin's mind. And then just as quickly as he came in, Kelsier zips out the door and back out into the mists. <laughs> very cool. One thing that is helpful is that Sazed will be Vin's attendant and chaperone during this ball, so he can help her maintain a calm composure, give her a couple of pieces of advice, and also just nice to know you got a homie on the inside. I mean, even right as they get there, Vin is overwhelmed. She's looking at the huge keep. There's these lights blazing outside, which once you go inside, you realize it's to light up all of the stained glass windows. And actually, we read this annotation. Um, Brandon Sanderson has like information and behind the scenes bits about his chapters. He said originally he had, had thought of this idea of having bonfires around the outsides of the keeps, but he realized that A, there's not enough resources in the world he's built to justify burning all these fires all the time. And B, it wouldn't light up the stained glass as much as he wanted it to so he actually really thought about the logistics of it which i thought was cool and he ended up developing these like lime lights that shine up onto all of the noble keeps and he built the technology and the sort of like industrial level of the world here to match that kind of technology that would be available yeah it was really interesting to be able to read all these cliff notes and sidebar tidbits of information and as we progress through these chapters moving forward if there's anything of interest that we glean from these notes that brandon sanderson leaves about his chapters we would love to share them with you yeah we even already forgot to to talk about the whole point of the chapter which was a party and how much he loved to write party scenes because he isn't particularly good at parties in real life but he wrote some party scenes in his first book elantris and he thought they were really good at breaking up the action. And he really wanted to have this whole plot of Vin going to parties. So he ended up developing this entire plot of her becoming the person who infiltrates the ministry and everything just to support the fact that he wanted to put parties chapters into the book. Yeah, I did really enjoy that. And one tidbit that he shared was that he identified more with Ellen Venture that he would be the type of person at a party in his nose in a book as well. So that was just a fun little tidbit to share. I really liked him. I think it lent a lot of intrigue to the book. I didn't expect he mentioned that this book took seven drafts. And I think that that's really impressive that he was able to change so much as the drafts went on and on. And then include these things that were important to him, not only for the story, but things he wanted in there as a writer and as a person. Yeah. Awesome work, Brandon. Mm -hmm. But circling all the way back to those lights, Vin is immediately awed by the size and the breadth of the keep, this sort of powerful architectural symbol she's about to go into. And so she stops right at the threshold. Sazed already coming to help her is like, you must go inside, Mistress Vin. Like, you shouldn't be gawking here. And, yeah, forward, And really, mistress. like, helps her get up and into the, the party because she's having a tough time. <laughs> And as she's walking up and approaching the door, she's like, what am I doing? I gotta hide a corner, a shadow, something, anything. She's so used to being in the mists. She doesn't want to be out where everybody can see her. Right. And to be center stage, because she is a newcomer in the court, all eyes will be on her. It is really tough. I think she does eventually settle into the realization that people are seeing 
the disguise of Valette instead of Vin herself. And I think that really helps her. She she imagines this persona as being a mask or a costume she can wear. And it really helps her navigate the situation so that she's not as nervous. Yeah, I love the fact that it's like this is a disguise or a mask mm-hmm. in that by adopting a role, there's this armor or a layer of protection that she can keep herself from being vulnerable and like she immediately calms down. It was definitely a really helpful tactic for her to adopt. And then thankfully, Sazed also finds her a table pretty immediately where she can sit by herself and eat dinner. And Sazed is, again, with the insider information, he's like, make sure you eat slowly because once your meal is done, all the men are going to come ask you to dance. And of course, Vin is like, you didn't teach me to dance, Sazed. Because, as he says, there wasn't any time. So thankfully for the first ball and maybe a couple more, Vin can deflect and just say, like, no, it's my first time here. I'm just taking it all in. But she'll only get away with so many excuses before she starts to look rude as someone ingratiating herself to the noble court. Thankfully, she is able to avoid it this time, but not for much longer. Yeah. And as Vin is... Settling into her seat and looking around, she's noticing that there are obligators there that are being paid as witnesses for, you know, certain conversations or bets Mm -hmm. between young noblemen. And there was a really cool aside that we were reading about from Brandon Sanderson in that when he was originally developing these branches of the Lord Ruler, the obligators... (laughs) Obligators? Obligators. Obligators, the steel ministry, that he wanted this incoherent blend of church and state, and that using these obligators was a way for him to get nobles to participate with the ministry more. He had said that originally in his earlier drafts, they were called the steel priesthood, and the obligators were called priests, and he felt like that was too overtly like religious when they are sort of this weird blend of government and religion. And I like the fact that he can world build in this way where Vin is experiencing all these new things. And it again, it's just like us experiencing the world along with her, especially because she's in a situation she's never before experienced. So she's just taking it all in and learning, whereas... It could have been a lot more heavy-handed. Yeah, it doesn't feel very spoon-fed, even though there is exposition. Mm-hmm. Like, this was one of my favorite parts is, so up till now, we've been hearing about sort of this mythology of the Lord Ruler. He went to a place called the Well of Ascension, and he defeated the deepness. And Vin is looking around at the scenery in this keep, which is almost like a, a big like cathedral-like structure, and it's got all these stained-glass windows depicting the Lord Ruler defeating the deepness, which is just shown as a sort of like dark black or purple blob with sort of like tentacle-like tendrils coming off of it. So it's so amorphous. And I hadn't really questioned up to this point what it was, even though we were told about it many times without any real context. And then even Vin herself is like, I don't know that much about it, which I think was a really interesting way to build out the mythology of the world in a way where it doesn't actually tell you that much about the mythology of the world. 
Yeah. Like there's still mystery to it. And I really enjoy that because, you know, as we finished this book, we never really fully understand still what the deepness is. Mm-mm. And I'm excited to see how the rest of the trilogy plays out because I am just dying to know, like, what is it? What's going on with these mists? Do you have a theory about the deepness? I feel like there's definitely a byproduct of when the Lord Ruler ascended. Something happened that devastated the environment that created these ash falls and like blocking out the sun and like killing all the plants. And the deepness is like a byproduct of that. Or maybe the deepness was there. It got released and these mists and the ash falls are a byproduct of the deepness. Okay. I like that theory. The deepness is the problem and everything else is a symptom of it. And that's why the world's been devastated. Oh. So that's like my concrete theory. Okay. My theory is that we know that. Even on, this is like not really even a spoiler, but like on the back of the book, it says, you know, a hero rose to save the world and he failed. You and I know, because we've read the book, that that is this character who was supposed to become the Lord Ruler is defeated by this terraceman, Rashek, who ends up going to the Well of Ascension and doing something to become the Lord Ruler. We don't really know what. I think he invented the mythology of the deepness over the past thousand years to make it look like he saved the world, even though he didn't do anything. Like, it's all fabricated story. Ooh, that's a pretty cool theory. I like that. I like both. I think it could go in either direction or a completely different direction from what you and I have just said. I mean, this could be like an undercover where I was right about the um, Chandra being mysteries. That, you know, the Conjure were adult r- misrates. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, you were <laughs> you were right on that one. <laughs> but we'll see. I'm excited to just kind of enjoy the journey and see what's revealed over time. Me too. There's a lot that was not answered in this book that I hope we get more information about, you know, as the trilogy continues. So this is all really... Really good world building. It's introducing Vin to a different sect of society. She's sitting around and observing everyone. And it says this little seed gets planted in her head. And it it only comes from herself, I think. She starts to look at how beautiful everyone is and how elegant and wonderful everything is here. And she says, are these really the people that enslave and beat their ska? They seem like too good for that. Too well put together. And this is something that Vin struggles with as her infiltration goes deeper and deeper is separating, befriending these noble people as as friends and equals and then separating that idea of them being the ones who are enslaving the ska and performing all these horrible acts. And it's hard for her to parse those apart. Yeah. So I think there's a really interesting duality with this. We have Vin humanizing and empathizing with the nobility. And then we have oh. Ellen sympathizing and humanizing the ska. That's and it's a, a really good observation. Foil, and I really appreciate the cleverness with that. I didn't even pick up on that until you pointed it out. But I think that that's why those, why Vin and Ellen work so well together. They are essentially foil characters. She is misborn and female and powerful. He's highborn, but kind of seen as like weak and foolish by the rest of the court. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it before, but now mm. I see the the opposites attract kind of version of this. Yeah. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, she is about to meet Ellen, so let's let's talk through her dinner and then to her meeting with Ellen himself. Yes. It's a very important part. He ends up being a very important character to the whole plot. Saza brings Vin's dinner back. She eats very slowly and politely. She's trying to stall. <laughs> stalling. You think I'm stalling. Stalling. <laughs> Definitely stalling, which I have totally done at parties where I don't know people is I'll like very, very slowly eat my like plate of food. <laughs> so Sazed has good very tips. opposite in that where I'm just like, hey, want to be friends? Oh, you're so extroverted. I'm, I'll like politely eat in my cheese and crackers for a while before I get up the nerve to talk to people sometimes. <laughs> Vin is trying to stall, but she also knows that Kelsier wants her to make an appearance. You know, she has to do her job here, even though she's scared. Yes, and after Vin has finished eating, Saza takes his leave to eat with the uh, other... Stewards. Thank you. I don't want to say servants, because there are obviously more than that. So Saza goes and has his meal with the other stewards, and Vin at first is like, you're leaving me alone? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would be scared too, though. He's like her lifeline. Yeah. But he also makes an important point is that he'll pick up a lot of information from the stewards that he wouldn't get standing with Vin and Vin won't be able to get from the nobility. You know, the servants of the nobility see and hear a lot and they'll talk to each other. Yeah, so there's something definitely to be gained for both of them to go on their own. Mm -hmm. Poor Vin is left alone. At this point, I think three or four men have asked her to dance, but she keeps saying like, oh no, this is my first ball. Everything is so wonderful and grand. I'm afraid I'll trip and fall or like I'm too nervous to dance. So she's really, really hamming it up a little bit here yes. in order to get out of the dancing. After that, no one really comes around to her. It's it's either people have seen her declining or, you know, word is getting around that she's not dancing tonight. So she's sitting there with nothing to do. This is when she decides to take a lap. So she's also looking at the obligators again. I remember you said that she was witnessing them validate agreements and everything. Something really important here is that she sees her own father. Yes. So in order for Vin to have mistborn abilities or like inherit that genetically, she has to be at least half noble. And according to her brother, Reen, their father was an obligator and he had pointed this person out to Vin before once when they were children so she sees her father, and I thought this was just sort of like throwaway information, but he comes back again right at the end of the book. Yeah, and he is a massive player in this game. Yeah, very, very powerful, very high up in the steel ministry itself. I'm going to expand on that some more later in future episodes, but I do appreciate the fact that it isn't just nameless Obligator number five is your dad. Like, I think for her being as powerful and misborn that she is, yeah, it makes sense that her family's nobility blood is very high up as well. I agree. I think that plays a lot into why Vin is so powerful. After she sees her father, she doesn't really want to be seen by him, so she scoots away and notices this beautiful balcony that runs up and around the keep so that she can see the dancers below if you're up on it. And so she, despite the fact that Sazed had told her to stay where she was, she ends up going up to the balcony. She figures that 
you know, she could just look at the stained glass, enjoy the view, walk around a little bit so that she's not awkwardly sitting around. But she's also trying really hard what Kelsier said is like, be seen by the nobility and she can start to talk to people, eavesdrop a little bit, pick up information as she moves around the keep. Yeah, so as she makes her way over to this balcony and she's just observing all the dancers and just taking in the views, one thing that's interesting that Vin points out is that the tiling on the floor looks similar to the weaving patterns of the mists, which is a just a cool little detail. Everything in the keep is very intricate. There's the stained glass windows, there's this vaulted ceiling with the the balcony running around it. There's these pillars that have been carved at the top. And then on top of all just like the grand architecture, everything in the keep is pristine. So they have these like beautiful press tablecloths and everything's very nicely put together. One small detail that I think is just satisfying as a reader is Vin has her first and last ball at House Venture. Yeah, definitely a really cool cycle and how much Vin grows and changes in this time is just so enjoyable to read. Ellen as well, because he's about to enter the scene. Yes, and I like the introduction. A little snarky, a little sarcastic. Yeah, a little uppity, but I think he also doesn't really know how to talk to girls. No, and he's got to be the cool guy, so... I don't think he really knows how to play the cool guy. I think he's like a nerd trying to play the cool guy. Yeah, that's exactly the impression I get. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just declares out loud as Vin's taking in the views. Now, see, here's the problem with going to refill your cup of wine. And so she gets startled, spins around, and she takes in Ellen Venture. He is definitely not the appearance that you would expect from someone who is the heir to the most powerful house. He's not really well put together. His suit is like not well fitted. It's sort of crumpled looking. His hair's a mess. And he always has in his pocket a book that's like very clearly like shoved into the inside of his jacket. Yeah, I feel like I got the impression of like a 90s bad boy. Mixed with like the nutty professor. <laughs> that's hilarious. Sort of like um like a frazzled high school science teacher. That's fair. I was thinking more like a 90s or Saved by the Bell character mixed with like John Shelby from Peaky Blinders. Oh my god, we're all over the place. <laughs> Just like, you know, like the three-piece suit motif and yeah, aesthetic. Yeah, I know who I could see him being. One of the boys from Dead Poets Society, because they're all supposed to be dressed. Ooh, yep. They're all supposed to be dressed like they're going to like an Ivy League boarding school, but none of them want to be there. So they like aren't wearing their uniforms quite properly, and they're really into their books yep. and breaking the rules. Yeah, it's definitely their way of rebelling. So, yep. Na- Get, nailed, nailed it. it. <laughs> nailed it. Good I job. nailed it. It's, he's a Dead Poets Society kid. <laughs> Which really plays into the fact that he's always reading books. So what has happened is Vin has taken Ellen's go-to reading spot whenever there's a party because he doesn't like to participate in all the formalities of party life. So Vin just shuffles to the side a little bit. He sits down in his spot and starts reading again. And Vin is sort of surprised that he's not talking to her. She says, why did you even come here? And he says, oh, you know, there's 
tons of balls that I've been invited to, like hundreds over the years. They start to lose their shine after a while. He says, well, why would you come to a ball if you refused to dance with all those men who asked you to dance? So he's been keeping his eye on her, too. He eventually makes his introduction and simply says that he is Lord Elland. But he doesn't mention his last name. Or that this is his family's estate, manor, and holdings. (laughs) Just a few small details he glosses right over. So I think he's trying to get Vin's impression of him without her knowing his status, just getting to know her for her. But they they end up doing this sort of like banter. She says, maybe you'd start to dance better if you practiced, hinting a little bit like we could go dance. But then Ellen finally calls her bluff and is like, fine, do you want to go dance if you're not going to let me read my book? And I love the line she says to herself in her head. Uh, he's either incredibly smooth or socially incompetent. Gonna go with socially incompetent now that we know more about him. (laughs) He's not the slyest of the bunch. But they end up talking about his book a little bit. He is reading something, sounds super boring, called Trials of Monument. Obviously, Vin is not very interested in it either. Then it's a little bit tricky here. So they're talking about the ball. And Ellen says, what do you think of your first experiences here? Vin is playing it very neutral and just says it's overwhelming. But then Ellen sets her up here and he says, well, what do you think about House Venture? They do know how to throw a party no matter what you say. But she doesn't fall for it. So she just says, oh, you don't like House Venture then, which was really smart on her part. Because Mm. then Ellen actually is a little bit honest here and says he does not like House Venture, which we now know is his own family. And he says they're... A little bit ostentatious. You know, they always have to be at the top. They run their servants ragged setting it up and then beat the servants afterward. So this is our first hint that Ellen is... Well, not even a hint. It's pretty heavy-handed. Ellen is not interested in all the, like, frou-frou of the high nobility and the way that they treat people of lesser status. I do enjoy the fact that Ellen is already planting his flag of humanizing Ska and realizing they're more than just laborers and that they don't deserve such harsh treatment. So it was an interesting first meeting, to say the least. It's cut short because Sazed is looking for Vin, so she has to dash off. When she meets up with Sazed, they decide that it's time time for them to go. But Vin does point out, because Sazed didn't know where she was, she says, oh, I was up there talking to that man. And she points him out, says, oh, yeah, well, his name is Elland. And Sazed goes, oh, Lord Elland Venture (laughs) of Keep Venture, where we're having this party. Vin, heir to the house title, heir to the most powerful house. What are you doing? Furthermore, Sazed asks, did he ask you to dance? Vin confirms, and she tries to backpedal and say that, you know, I think he didn't mean it. Poor Sazed is just frowning and saying so much for keeping anonymity. Yeah, that's out the window now. Completely gone. I think it is interesting, too, that it does set up here where Ellen asked Vin to dance. Sazed asks Vin, did he ask you to dance? And Vin says, yes, but I don't think he meant it. And this starts to play into the like confusion that we had the whole book of 
where Ellen stands with Vin, if he's using her for politics or if he actually cares about her or if she's just being used by other people in the court. So it added a lot of intrigue to this whole plot of Vin's infiltration. Right. Especially the first read, it was so hard to tell what everyone's intentions were. Mm-hmm. And I kept having this gut-wrenching, like, stay away from him. He's bad news. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get heartbroken. It's not worth it. I was hopeful at this chapter, but then later on when we meet Shan Alarial, I was like, oh, no, no, Vin, you're just a pawn, like, between Ellen and Shan's games. Get out of there. But it ends up working out for her and Ellen, even though it has a very dark period right at the end before they get it together again. Yeah. That's their meeting. Sazed is definitely nervous for the whole thing. Yes, and they're heading back to the hideout to have a debrief and a band meeting. Chapter 13. So the blurb at the top of this one is the hero. I forget his name. I think we learned it at one point towards the end. Mm, I don't remember his name either. All right. Well, it's from his journal, and he's talking about how he's nervous about this person, Rorschach, which you and I now know is the person who overthrows him, becomes Lord Ruler. And descends the world into dark chaos for a <laughs> millennia. Just that small thing. You know. But what's interesting about this is that he says, I continue where all of the prophecies are saying I'm going, even though this character, Rorschach, is making me nervous. I'm going to meet my destiny, despite Rorschach looking at me and calling me a fraud. And I'm wondering if part of Rorschach's betrayal of this person was all actually part of the prophecy. Ooh. Like I... it was his destiny to go there and die and be replaced by Rorschach. Wow. That's cool. I didn't even consider that. I hadn't either because from everyone else's perspective, the world is terrible now. And we were really going based on the back of the book when it says, a thousand years ago, a hero rose to save the world. He failed. I didn't really pick up on this interpretation the first time you and I read it, but it is interesting in light of the conversations that Ham has been bringing up with morality versus what they're doing and like the definition of the Lord Ruler being God and then therefore being the definition of morality and going against him would be immoral. So if the prophecies ended up bringing this person to their betrayal by Rorschach and that's what they intended for it all to play out that way. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't even have a good response to that. I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's no way we're, we're ever going to know. And I don't think the characters in the book will ever know. I will be intrigued because you and I have now started book two, The Well of Ascension, to see what more world building and history of this world that we get into that perhaps provides a little bit more information. Yeah, very excited with that. But that's all the blurb has to say, and then it is back to Kelsier and friends. Yes. Vin, Kelsier, Sazed, and friends are at the Renew Estate going over the evening's events. Sazed had been questioning Vin in detail about her interactions with Lord Ellen Venture, eldest son and heir to the Venture family throne. So there is a lot that is going down. Vin attended her first ball. She doesn't realize how dangerous this is because she caught the attention on such a powerful nobleman. And the whole intent for this was Vin to kind of be more of a fly on the wall, glean some information, take part in conversations with noble people, and 
get information on some of the quarrels and status quo between these great houses. Right, and that's going to be so much more difficult now if she is already being equated with Ellen, who's in the spotlight oftentimes because he is such a prominent player in politics. It's going to be really tough for her to keep a low profile and get slowly integrated into court in the way that they need her to. So obviously, Sazed is upset about this development, but I think Vin is taking it more as an affront to her character and feeling hurt that Sazed is implying that he's disappointed Ellen was interested in her. Yeah, I feel really bad. Both Sazed and Kelsier have different reactions to this. Sazed is alarmed. Kelsier is slightly annoyed, but more poking fun at Vin, like, oh, if you weren't so charming. And they're just kind of giving her a tough time about the whole thing, where for her, she just genuinely had a good time, met a handsome boy, and like was feeling good about herself. So I feel bad that although no harm had happened, this isn't necessarily a good thing at the moment. And I think from Sazed and Kelsier's perspective, they're trying to remind Vin who's a teenage girl, to like keep her head in the game because they need her to be doing certain tasks. And they feel a little bit more like she's getting drawn into this sort of like courtly intrigue and maybe like a little bit of like a boy thing. But Vin does say internally that talking to Ellen was this time that she felt she was not Valette. She was not Vin the street urchin. She was not Vin just the Mistborn. It's sort of this time that She's just Vin herself. Yes. And she does mention that she's experienced this now a few times with this new crew, but not in the way that Ellen immediately got her to just feel natural and feel relaxed. And I think that's why this hurts so much more for her when Kelsier and Sazed are like, mm, this throws a wrench in our plans. Right. And, you know, I do see from their perspective if she catches Ellen's attention, um, she might be ostracized from her peers. Some um, noble ladies may get jealous and give her the cold shoulder. So she's in a tough position. Right. Even Renew's in this conversation and he says it's unlikely that Ellen was interested in her. He just wanted to use her for one of his politic games. Right. He wants to stir the pot and create gossip and intrigue, which again hurts Vin's feelings. Yeah. So she's feeling upset and she ends up switching the topic of conversation to the fact that she saw her father there. Yes. And that he is an obligator, obligator even. <laughs> Obligatator, as I, you might say. I don't know why. That always like, <laughs> makes me tongue-tied. I think because I kept re reading it as obligator, but I think on the audiobook today they were saying obligator. No, I was saying obligator and they were saying obligator. Yeah. Regardless, Vin mentions this to Kelsier and Sazed and they immediately are like, what did he look like? Who is he? And <laughs> no help from Vin. She's like, oh, bald, eye tattoos, you know. Do we ever figure out why they have eye tattoos? No. Like, I know it's a mark of their status, but does it indicate like a power or anything? Like a specific set of powers? Are, are they all mistborn? You know, I'm not sure. I'm hoping in book two, maybe we get some answers. Yeah, it's, it's a very distinct marking to not really elaborate on. Mm. So not much is achieved through this mention and change in topic of conversation other than Kelsier telling Vin that she'll have to point him out to her sometime. And with that, Kelsier says that he is heading out for the night. 
And Vin obviously says, but you just got here. Yeah. So Kelsier is very much a whirlwind character. And I think we see this throughout the whole book. He's got like this aura and this cult of personality around him. And I think part of it is the fact that he does only drop in like here and there. So he leaves people wanting more and more as the book goes on. Like Vin already, I think, feels like she wants to be included with him and like hang out with him and learn more from him. So here when he says he's leaving, she fakes going to bed so that she can follow him. Oh, perfect teenage ink sneaking out. But before we get to that, I just do want to say like a great Kelsier line that just really, I feel like encapsulates his personality <laughs> when Vin says, but you just got here. And Kelsier responds with, that's the funny thing about arriving somewhere, Vin. Once you're there, the only thing you can really do is leave again. <laughs> Such like a fake proverb almost. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know, like silly and lighthearted and just charming. So Vin feigns sleepiness, says, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. Sazed is slightly onto her. Yeah. He's got his eye on her, but he lets her go and she immediately goes to her room, opens her balcony doors, and she's off. I love how I picture this in my mind with like, the windows like getting swung open, the mist coming into her bedroom, she just flying out the window. Yeah, it's such a cool thing to jump into the mists because no one could see you where you go. You're just sort of enveloped by them. It's almost like jumping into deep water. Yeah. So I think it's visually very cool. And I know that this obviously hasn't been made into like a movie or a TV show or anything, but I think it could visually be a really interesting fantasy series to put on the big screen. I would love to see it as a uh, an animated work, especially with a lot of the Alemantic stuff with the blue lines. Oh, yeah. I think that'd be easy enough to actually CGI fairly realistically. Mm, that's true. Although I am less of a fan of CGI representations of fantasy in general. Yeah, I find they either look really fake or rarely done well. I think it would have to be stylized because everything here is so ashy. Mm. So I, I could totally see everything being kind of like grayed out. I would say either grayed out or everything's in like sepia during the day. Well, like, you know how you and I just watched Dune? Yeah. And everything was sort of like that yellow tone when they're on Arrakis because it's all like hot and deserty. And the CGI looked good because they had sort of like integrated it visually in an artistic style. So I, I think somebody could do do a lot with this. Mm, potential. There's a lot of potential here. Um, there's also a lot of potential for Vin jumping out into the mists right now, figuring out where Kelsier's going. Yep, so which she's... Which was a terrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> you tried, A for effort. She is interested in following Kelsier. Obviously, she's flying through the air in her mistborn maneuvering. Um, you know, she's not walking. No, steel pushing, iron pulling. She's not even carrying, like, a coin purse, nothing. She's got nothing going on. So Kelsier won't be able to sense her at all. She's also burning copper, keeping her invisible. Kelsier's not heading into town. She's following him. He goes out past the mansion gates and then turns north out of the city. So she then maybe is thinking he's circling for Felice or going to one of the mansions in Felice to attack. Right. She thinks he's going after a, you know, a high noble house and doing another raid. But going to Felice to do that would be like expanding his his territory. I think so far he's only been doing it in Luthadel. Mm. And then she's worried that he's actually going to keep Venture. She's already attached to Elend from here. 
Yeah, because she is able to be herself. And I think that's a, obviously a rare thing. So even though she may not know it, she already has a high regard for him emotionally. Yeah, good point. As she's looking for Kelsier, he's all of a sudden just gone. And she doesn't know where he's gone. She can't keep up with him until she burns her tin and flares it. And she sees him as like a little dot arcing in the distance. As she tries to follow like this approximate little speck that is Kelsier, she discovers an Alimantic Highway. Or what else do they call it? A bronze a bronze road? It was an Alimantic Road and then a bronze highway, which was like great visualization. Yeah, so she finds these embedded in the ground like ingots of bronze so that she can use them to push off of and it's two like sets of two of them spaced pretty evenly so that you can push and pull yourself through the air it's clearly set up just for mistborn because they would be the only ones who would be able to use this and she ends up following it and gets to luthadel in half the amount of time it would take her on a horse so this is a great invention we don't know if kelsier installed it or if somebody else put it in I like to think that it's sort of an ancient part of the world. Yeah. And then, that it's been there for a long time and maybe just Kelsier recently discovered it. Yeah, I like to think that it's just like a misborn trade secret. Yeah, like you're in the club. You know how to use this road. And yeah. It's been used by all the misborn that came before you and all those that will come after you. So Definitely an awesome little shortcut. And as Vin makes her way back to... Luthadel, and more importantly, back to keep Venture for the second time this evening because she lost Kelsier in the city, doesn't know where to go. She wonders if she should go to Clubs' shop. So subconsciously, she makes her way back towards where they went to the ball. And she's getting nervous that her mentioning Elland would make Kelsier do something rash. So she's like, maybe he's here to kill Elland, assassinating somebody that high in politics or you know the hierarchy would really create tension so she gets protective over him already but thankfully she does find kelsier and i love that she finds him but kelsier is the one who gets the drop on her again <laughs> always a step ahead always another secret he he flies out of the mists puts his hand on her shoulder and tells her that she's supposed to be in bed <laughs> young lady <laughs> Perfect, uh, like, disappointed dad. So she had been following, actually, Kelsier's coin pouch, which is the trick that she used on Kelsier at the beginning of part two. So he says he was clever enough to steal her trick and use it against her because he's a clever thief. At this point, she asks him, like, where are you going? What, what are you up to? Kelsier says that I might as well just tell you I'm going to... Krennic Shaw to the Lord Ruler, don't try and follow me. This is way too dangerous. He's like rushing into this, I feel. Mm. Especially when we first read this, I was extraordinarily concerned about the pacing that Kelsier was taking by going to Krennic Shaw so early in the planning stages. I know he's not going to confront the Lord Ruler, but it just seemed so risky to me to yeah. show up there when the Lord Ruler knows him and knows he caught him last time and sent him to the pits. Right. And Vin is not backing down. I love this conversation. 
She tells him, you know, essentially my only contribution to the plan so far has been going to parties. I just missed one born. party, really. Yeah, like I'm ready to do so much more. I know you want to keep me safe, but I don't even see myself living past the year. You want me to do things only when I'm ready, but I'll never be ready. Reen had me learn how to be a thief by going on burglaries. Like, the only way to learn is to do. This is what I need to do is to go with you in order to help you. I think it's tough because Kelsier sees her as a child and I think sometimes sees her as his own child. Mm. But then the other half of the time, because he is this sort of reckless, careless person he sees vin as like a friend and sort of that friend that you're competitive with because they are the only two mistborn of like pushing each other to go a little further and like a little too far each time kelsey does mention how much vin has changed in the time that they've been together where when he had first met her she could only get a few words out of her here and there and now she's lecturing him and it just goes to show how close they've become and how much Vin has grown out of her comfort zone. And she's also matured as like, a, I think she's 16. Yeah. But, you know, almost an adult and finding that confidence to stand up for yourself in the presence of adults when you're that age is a tough thing to do. Classic coming of age. Yes, very much so. As Kelsier decides to have her come with him, he needs to impart yet another secret to her. Yes. So he'd mentioned ATM before, you and I have talked about it before, but this is the first time that we get to see Vin use ATM. Kelsier says that ATM is extremely rare, which we know that he gives Vin a little bead of it and it's worth more than the 3,000 boxings that he gave her a few chapters ago. And so he lets her try it. He says, you know, you can't sell it because it's like a, a tracked metal, like people won't touch it, it's too hot. So she actually gets to try ATM before they end up going to Credit Shaw, which is so exciting. Yes. So she she burns it as Kelsier starts walking. And like you and I have said, it, it, it predicts the future. It shows a sort of shadow image of things that are about to happen. And she calls it like a reverse shadow. It moves before you. So it's sort of like a blur of Kelsier moving and then Kelsier actually walking and moving and doing what the shadow showed. She realizes that she can see, you know, a moment into the future, as it were, until Kelsier then burns ATM as well. And he shows her the absolute confusion of what happens when you have two Mistborn using ATM against each other. It just releases infinity possibilities, infinite, yeah. infinite shadows. It's like looking into a mirror folded around yourself. So it's like the mirrors and reflecting in one another. Yep. Like endlessly. A ton of like ghost images after images are extended. And then when two Mistborn are fighting, this is the stalemate that they run into. So then it's just down to their regular misting skills. Either that or someone's ATM burns before another's. Which is exactly what happens to Vin here. So ATM burns really fast, unfortunately. Which means that since they have such a limited supply, it's going to be extremely particular and they need to be very careful and prudent when they do decide to use ATM. Now, Vin and Kelsier are going to be making their way towards Credit Shaw and classic preparing for a boss battle. Kelsier hands her another vial of metals to restock and... They're getting ready to make their way to Credit Shaw. 
And it's just such an ominous and intense feeling. One thing I didn't touch on earlier, but Vin has this introspective moment to herself and speaks it out loud to Kelsier, is that they can feel this like depressive hopelessness emanating from Credit Shaw, where Kelsier confirms that it is one of the Lord Ruler's abilities. His soothing capabilities to cause distress and hopelessness is just amplified beyond anything they could have imagined. Right, and they're about to walk into that. That's a very scary place to be, not only because it is the headquarters of the Lord Ruler and all the obligators are there and the Steel Ministry is there, but there's like a mental game going on when they have to walk into this cloud of soothing that the Lord Ruler has. They're still burning copper and they feel this way, so it just shows how powerful he is and what an intimidating It's completely oppressive, yeah. Yeah. Horribly scary. I like the combination of emotional fear that's added with that as well. There's one thing when, you know, a villain or a character is like physically intimidating. And it's another where before the confrontation's already started, you're emotionally feeling defeated. Right. They already have a leg up on you before you've even come into contact with them. Yeah. I think that's a really clever part of the writing process. Uh, Brandon Sanderson has done when writing The Lord Ruler. I like the the expansion of the villain into not only a physical presence, but just sort of this like entity. Like he's almost like mythological at this point. Yeah, ethereal even. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so excited to talk about next time when they go into Credit Shaw itself, because it's one of the most pivotal chapters, I think. It's it's just was so shocking to me. All the events that occurred were not what I was expecting them to do. Not the outcomes I was expecting. No, when we were reading it together the first time, we were like shrieking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fast. It's a super action-packed chapter. And we do get a little bit of background information as to what happened with Kelsier and his history and the last time he went to Credit Shaw. We also get a little bit of intrigue as to what is going on in the palace. So I think it made their struggles feel a lot more real and like the plan and the heist feel more realistic because they finally give us a taste of what they're up against yeah and i really want to touch on that more next time because up until this point it's felt very obtainable and almost too easy how much success they've had with this plot to overthrow the final empire for sure it just seems like they each got their tasks and they've all been plugging along at their tasks maybe not as quickly or as efficiently as they were hoping, but they've had no setbacks yet. Very excited to be covering this next set of chapters. Definitely one of my favorite intense moments of the story. We're really whipping through this book. It's been really exciting to talk about it. Yeah, I love this story. I think it's really been a refreshing change in some of the fantasy that I've been reading. Oh yeah, you just finished Atlas Six. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll do a small mini episode on your thoughts about that book. There's a lot lot to unpack with that particular story, but... Well, we're currently reading Well of Ascension, you know, book two in the Mistborn series, so you can pivot away from Atlas Six and back into the world of the Cosmere now. Yes. Into Brandon Sanderson's second book in the series and back to the world we love. For sure. Until next time, listeners. Happy reading. 
Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media. Thank you.